there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Good morning. My name is Dan, and our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10 verses 25 through 42. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and took off, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treated them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denaro gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God. Have mercy on 
got a large popcorn with light butter in one hand, Coke Zero, as big as my head in the other. <laughs> I climb into my seat, literally had to climb into it because the theater was so packed with people. And at the appointed time, the lights dim, the enormous IMAX screen erupts, and I'm instantly transported to the desert planet Arrakis with the likes of Timothy Chalamet and Jason Momoa and Oscar Isaac, and I'm there for opening night of Dune Part One, the film adaptation of the 1965 Frank Herbert book of the same name. Anybody read it? Anybody read it? Jimmy, I know you have. And, uh, and now in the theater that night, opening night of an epic sci-fi classic, it was clear that a lot of people had waited a long time for this moment. It also quickly became clear to me that I was not one of those people. <laughs> I was there because a friend invited me. I like movies. I went in cold and admittedly spent much of the movie lost. I kept leaning over to my friend asking, is he a bad guy? What's happening? Is that Zendaya? I'm sure it was super fun for him. And uh, it was only after I went home and read the plot on Wikipedia that I started to make sense of the many questions that I had. And, uh, and I'll be honest, um, I have forgotten much of the plot. Uh, I need to refresh before the sequel comes out in a few weeks. Anybody want to go with me? Anybody? <laughs> Uh, but, but what I haven't forgotten is this moment early on in the movie when I got a text message. I saw it come through on my watch uh, and then super discreetly slipped out my phone, hunched over to respond. And that's when my seat started to shake a little bit. It was weird. I just assumed, you know, the person behind me was, was adjusting in their seat and they kicked mine accidentally. You know how it goes sometimes. All good. Didn't think much of it uh, until a few minutes go by. I got another text. Remember, I had very little stake in this movie, very little idea what was happening, and so I didn't feel like I was missing much. And so again, I pulled out my phone super discreetly, started to respond, and the seat started shaking some more. This was no accident. This time it felt aggressive. Someone was kicking my seat. <laughs> Clearly intentional. Somebody was not happy that I had my phone out, and so I quickly fired off the text slipped the phone back in my pocket, kept it there for the duration of the movie, and I had all the feelings. I was angry, I was seething, I was embarrassed, I felt shame. And when the credits started rolling, I stood up and refused to make eye contact and left the theater then as quickly as possible, complaining all the way home. And now maybe you haven't had your seat violently kicked because you checked your phone in a movie theater, but perhaps, perhaps you have scrolled Instagram at a stoplight. Maybe you've played royal match in class. Perhaps you've browsed the headlines at the dinner table, checked your email during a Zoom call, sent a text while having coffee with a friend, made your grocery list while listening to a sermon. How did he know? Don't forget the milk. You're welcome. Uh, and if this is you, 
then you're going to love our theme today. More on that in a bit. But first, I want to be sure to welcome you. My name is Brent. I get to serve as the pastor here of the local church. And uh, we hope for three things. Each and every time you interact with us in any way, we want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is affirmed in your belovedness as the child of God that you are anchored in the good news that we share together each week. And empowered then to go into the world to take your next faithful step on the way of Jesus. To love where you are. Affirmed, anchored, and empowered all by God's grace. That's our hope and our deep prayer. If it's your first time here with us, a special word of welcome to you. We know how challenging it can be to step into a faith community for the first time, and uh, we work hard to honor the risk that you have taken. So feel free to be as visible or as anonymous as you need to be this morning, but just know that we're so glad you're here and we don't take your presence for granted. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey or on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church. We're more whole with you. If you hear nothing else this morning, we hope you hear that. Today, marks the second Sunday in the season of Lent. And as we shared last week, Lent is the 40-day season leading to the heartbreak and hope of Holy Week and Easter. For generations, inspired by Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, followers of Jesus have spent the 40 days before Easter in wilderness places of their own, of our own, doing some good, hard, holy work. The word Lent, if you remember from last week, means... Uh, lengthen comes from the old English word for lengthen, uh, referring to the lengthening of days that we experience as spring emerges. And I said this last week, we need Lent. We desperately need Lent. We need that pause. Lent is sort of a spring cleaning for our souls. It gives us the space to clean out the junk drawers of our lives and our hearts, freshen up our rhythms and our routines, uh, and, and reorganize our priorities such that we might be renewed and turn again, reoriented toward life and love, hope and possibility, ready made, uh, made ready then for the joy of resurrection at Easter. And so to guide us if, excuse me, in this work uh, throughout this season, we've introduced a series that we're calling Fast, Fast Practices for a Slow Lent and a Spacious Life. And on the one hand, This series names an intention for us since last fall. Uh, Since September, we've been on a slow roll uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we finally made it to chapter 10. Uh, But if by Easter, we're going to get all the way to chapters 23 and 24, which is where the crucifixion and the resurrection happen, then we're going to have to seriously pick up the pace, right? And so that's one way of understanding the series and the word fast, but also The practice of fasting has long been associated with the season of Lent. Just as Jesus fasted in the desert, many followers of Jesus have taken on practices of fasting, giving something up, taking something on as a way of growing closer to God in this season. I love this quotation about fasting that we shared last week from the late James Earl Massey. He said, fasting is not a renunciation of life. It is a means by which new life is released within us. Not a renunciation of life, but a means by which new life is released in us. In other words, fasting is not about deprivation. It's about preparation. And while when we think of fasting, many often immediately think about fasting from food, in this series, that's not our focus. Uh, We're particularly thinking about non-traditional and non-physical fasts from things that, that may get in the way of our connection with God, our relationship with others, and for us, the life that really is life. And we're inviting you to practice these fasts, doing it together, which will in turn, we hope, lead us to embrace something new, 
toward a spacious life of connection, of meaning, and of wholeness. So that's our series for Lent. And here's our fast for this week. Fasting from multitasking and inattention. As we begin, let's just be quiet for a moment. Holy God, so often we are everywhere and nowhere. Our bodies may be in one place, our minds in another. Dwelling on the past, worried about the future, overwhelmed by it all. Find us here, God, attentive and present. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Speak to us this day. Grant us what we need. In the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, you heard Dan read two stories. The first is commonly called the parable of the Good Samaritan, or better, the parable of the Compassionate Samaritan. Uh, That's because there's something somewhat problematic about this story being called the Good Samaritan. It implies that Samaritans aren't inherently good, and this one and this story is an outlier, an exception. So the parable of the Compassionate Samaritan, perhaps. And, uh, And here's how it goes, right? It may be somewhat familiar to you. Lawyer stands up to test Jesus. To ask him a question, teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he does so often, does that thing that he does, uh, responding with a question of his own. What is written in the law, he asks. What do you read there? And now, the lawyer has done his homework. He's read the Torah, uh, what we might call the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. He responds, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, Love your neighbor as yourself, straight out of the Torah. And Jesus says, great, do that. But he's not satisfied. The lawyer isn't. Uh, And so he asks one more question. Jesus, one more quick thing. Exactly who is my neighbor? And I don't know about you, but you can almost imagine many others in the crowd that day saying, yeah, you know, that's not a bad question. We should put some boundaries on this. Clarity is a good thing, you know? And Jesus responds to this question with a story, a parable. Jesus used parables to teach in a way that that would come near to those who were listening. Stories that may not have actually happened, but are true nonetheless. Hearers would have been able to find themselves in these stories, these parables. And we're invited as listeners then to do the same. And, And in this story, as Jesus tells it, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's an 18 mile stretch of rocky road, plunging from about 2,500 feet above sea level at the start in Jerusalem to about 825 feet below sea level in Jericho. It's a steep, treacherous path. And Jesus says that this man has experienced just such treachery. He falls into the hands of robbers who strip him naked, beat him, leave him for dead in a ditch by the side of the road. And as Jesus tells it, a priest, a religious leader, is going down the same road, but when he sees the man, he passes to the other side. Then along comes a Levite, also a religious person, someone who who would have great knowledge of the law, 
He does the same thing. He sees the man beaten, bruised, left for dead, acknowledges the man's presence, and then, like the priest, also passes by on the other side. And that's when the Samaritan enters the scene. And what you need to remember is that there's no love lost between Jews and Samaritans. Nothing but bad blood all the way around. To Jews, Samaritans made a mockery of their religion. And in the Jewish mind, Samaritans were false teachers who were only capable of leading people away from God's love. And so things are going great between them. But along comes the Samaritan, and he sees the same thing that the priest and the Levi have seen. He sees this near lifeless body in the ditch on the side of the road. But unlike the priest and the Levite, the Samaritan is, quote, moved with compassion. The Greek word there for compassion is a great one. One of my favorites, splagnitsomai. You got to kind of get the phlegm in in that GCH, splagnitsomai, which which literally means a churning of the bowels, a churning of the bowels. It's that feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach when you're so moved by pity, when your heart breaks so much, so moved by compassion by someone in need that you can feel it that deeply, splagnitsamai. And it's the Samaritan who moves toward him, crosses boundaries, bandages the man's wounds, takes him then to receive care. And so Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these was the neighbor? The lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. There's this famous experiment Famous study, maybe you've heard of it, uh, took place in 1973 at Princeton Theological Seminary. Two researchers recruited 40 seminarians, people studying for Christian ministry. And half of them, 20 of them, were asked to prepare a talk on the parable of the good or the compassionate Samaritan. And the other half were asked to prepare a talk on something generic, like career opportunities after ministry or after, in ministry, after uh, seminary. Uh, uh, both groups were asked to give their talk in a separate building across campus. But what they didn't know is that the researchers had hired an actor to pretend to be in distress on their way to the other building. The actor moaned loudly, coughed a lot, pretended to be, to be in severe abdominal pain, And each student had to walk by this man on their way to give their talk. The researchers wanted to see, obviously, if the students preparing to talk about this parable would be more likely to stop and to assist the man uh, than those going to simply give a talk on career opportunities. And what they found is that, well, they weren't more likely to help. In fact, the same number of students, eight in each group, stopped to help the stranger. Twelve walked on by. Some even stepped over the man. And what's more, they found that the most significant indicator of whether or not the student stopped to help was how much time they felt they had to get to the venue. In other words, they were much less likely to stop if they were in a hurry. And I share this Because the story gets to the heart of the issue when it comes to multitasking and inattention. And that's that so often, we too fall into the trap of believing that there's not enough time. 
not enough hours in the day, from the moment we wake up quite often, that we'll never get it all done. And this is when we begin to multitask because there's always one more email to respond to, one more dish to clean, one more book to read, one more paper to write, one more job to apply for, one more hard conversation to prepare for, one more bill to pay, one more deal to close, one more text to send. It's never enough. And so often in our effort to do all of the things at once amidst all the demands that we, what we find is two things. One, we're never fully present for anything. We often end up missing what's right in front of us. And that's because there's really no such thing as multitasking. It's a lie. It's made up. Studies have shown that we can really only ever focus on one thing at a time. And so what we're actually doing is just ping-ponging back and forth. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that even when our to-do lists seem to be empty and our heads hit the pillow, we're still exhausted, still overwhelmed, still weary, and still, still starved for what it is we truly hungry for. It's a vicious cycle. For many of us, we spend our days trying to check everything off the to-do list so that we'll at long last experience that far-off bliss of finally being able to relax, only to discover that it's never enough. Never will be. There's still more to do. And when we come face-to-face with this discomfort, or with any discomfort, really, whether it's a situation at home or work, outrage and injustice, a project we can't figure out, grief or shame that we carry, loneliness that we may feel, whatever it might be. It's so easy then, isn't it, to just reach for our phones, try to flee from that reality, escape into numbness in a multitude of ways right at our fingertips. The average American, for instance, spends around 900 hours a year on social media. That's over one month every year. 1,000 hours watching TV. It's the root. The root of multitasking is hurry. The root of distraction is discomfort. And this is why I love what comes next in Luke's gospel, the story of Mary and Martha. When Leah and I were planning the series, uh, she paired these two passages together. And uh, as recently as this week, I texted her and I was like, Leah, are we trying to do too much here? Like, are we trying to multitask? Do we really need both? Uh, You know, are, are we missing the point? But she was unwavering, insisting that we hold them together as one. And she was right. Obviously. Jesus and the disciples continue on their way, and they enter the home of a woman named Martha. Martha's sister, Mary, sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. And meanwhile, Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. I know Martha intimately. I live that reality. Martha's doing all the things. 
doing the hard work of hospitality, thankless work, while also probably trying to listen to her honored guests. In that day and age, it would have been common and customary for the women to serve while the men sat and listened, receiving the fruit of the women's labor. And so not only then is Mary as a woman not even supposed to be there in the room with Jesus, but Martha could use a little help. <laughs> and it would have been expected from, uh, that, that Mary help her. So, so Martha's very likely probably a little bitter here too. I get it. I'm with her. But instead of helping her sister, Mary crosses this boundary, takes the risk, and finds herself sitting at the feet of Jesus. She turns from distraction and busyness and finds herself instead listening, learning, fully present. And notice that Jesus doesn't say that what Martha's doing doesn't matter, that it isn't important, or that it's inherently bad. I don't think Jesus is so much rebuking Martha for being worried and distracted. It comes with the territory. Remember back to last week, we're human. We're human. That's part of it. Our lives are full of all kinds of things. But instead, Jesus is acknowledging Mary's full presence, her attentiveness. There's plenty to do, sure, but Jesus is saying, but your attention here, your full presence here, your yes here, that's what really matters. That's what's most important. That's what's going to change everything. One of our sessions last fall, my spiritual director said something to me that I haven't stopped thinking about. My poor local table that I lead, they hear it just about every time we get together, but it's worth hearing again, y'all. Uh, here's what she said. She said, we so often glance and glare, but we rarely gaze. We so often glance and glare, but we rarely gaze. In other words, in the midst of busyness and hurry and trying to do all the things, we either move quickly like a hummingbird, right, from one thing to the next, or in outrage, our eyes narrow and we glare, but we so rarely gaze, look with wonder, with love, with possibility. We rarely stop to look with attentiveness, with expectation. In a culture that tried to tell Mary, you should be doing something else. Mary did the hard thing, the radical thing. And for us, in our fragmented, hurried, scattered world, the hard thing, the radical thing, is to offer our full presence. And this is what Jesus is lifting up. This is what he's inviting us to do, too. Because when we gaze, when we stick with what's in front of us, whatever it might be, when we turn away from distraction and inattention, and instead behold with full presence, we open ourselves to the grace, the possibility of God in our midst, showing up in ways we wouldn't have seen otherwise, in ways that we can't see otherwise. When we sit at Jesus' feet and gaze upon him, for instance, instead of trying to escape our discomfort, we can become fully present to his love for us, which can cease our striving, crowd out our shame, lead us to the real rest for our overworked tired bones and weary souls held by his presence. When we sit at Jesus' feet and gaze upon him, instead of hurriedly moving past the pain, the need, the heartache, we can become fully present to the people, to the situations that move us to compassion, to splenitzomai, right? Like the child 
the children running for their lives in Gaza, the widowed neighbor who needs to talk for longer than you have time for, the trans kid bullied to death in Oklahoma, families without adequate housing on bitter nights here in our own community, fully present. And we sit at Jesus' feet and gaze upon him instead of trying to overfill our time with multiple tasks and divided attention in pursuit of some future fantasy, we can become fully present to the gift of time right in front of us. Winter sunsets, laughter that makes our sides hurt, that thing your kids want to show you, as ridiculous as it is, all a gift, the beauty, the love, the grace that's worth beholding. And so maybe the next time you're at that stoplight or you face the hard thing, you're at the dinner table, you're on the Zoom call, whatever it may be, and that urge comes to pick up your phone or check your email or get lost on Instagram, you might just imagine Jesus kicking the back of your seat (laughs) saying, hey, don't miss this. Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.